Well, friends, how many of us are grateful, truly grateful, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is not this? How many of us are grateful that the good news of Jesus Christ is not try harder and do better? That the gospel of Jesus Christ is entirely distinct from any man-made, man-centered, man-fueled religion. That the message goes so much deeper and wider and higher than merely our efforts to try harder and do better. Yet we know this, friends, even as Christians that understand the beauty of the gospel, how good the good news is, we tend to, on a daily basis, revert back to that old man-centered religion, that me-centered Christianity. And that's why it's so helpful to walk through the books of the Bible, especially the Gospel of John, because in three chapters, we have seen what the true heartbeat of God is, what the true message of our faith is, and how we experience its hope and its power for change. Right out of the gate in John 1, 1, we heard this, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. This Word is none other than Jesus Christ. Just three verses later, we then heard this, in Him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. You ready, church? And the darkness has not overcome it. Amen? And then just 10 verses later in John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word that is God lived amongst an ungodly people. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of what? Grace and truth. And then the story continues. Not only is he the word made flesh amongst us, from the lips of John the Baptist, we learn more about Jesus. He's not just the word of God. He's the lamb of God. And John the Baptist proclaims, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you hear? Try harder, do better in any of this. And then, of course, John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not what? perish, but have what? Eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but as it says in John 3, 17, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Hallelujah. The good news is entirely wrapped up in God. The good news of Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ is the good news. Your Bible is altogether about God's glory made manifest in Christ Jesus as he saved sinners. So what does that mean for us? When we go through difficult times, when we're in a difficult place, when things are just clearly and painfully difficult, perhaps things are less than ideal, and we are striving and looking for a change, we look for a fresh start, we want to change in what we do. We want to change in where we live. We want to change in where we work. 
We look for a change in our friendships, our relationships, our diets, our churches, and yes, even, God forbid, our marriages. Something's got to give. Something's got to change. And then it's in that moment that we revert back to a very man-centered salvation. I need to be the agent of change. I need a fresh start. What we've heard in the Gospel of John is that we need not only a fresh start, we need new life. I heard a story uh, uh, about this uh, television show, The Hoarders. You ever watch The Hoarders? People that hoard a lot of stuff. Now, I think to a certain degree, we're all hoarders, right? Amen? I mean, we all have these emotional attachments to practical things, to stuff. I guess it's the way that God designed us. But these people, woo, they take it to the next level. They love their stuff, and they can't part with any of their stuff. So one of the Hoarders episodes was about a small family in a small town right outside of Manhattan. But it's not Manhattan, New York. It's Manhattan, Kansas. And when you pulled up to their house, there was trash all over their porch, stacked high on their front lawn. They had old sofas. They had old laundry machines. They had an old toaster oven. They even had old cars which is ironic because they don't drive at all. They had everything piled up, filthy and disgusting. They had all this trash, okay? Then they have this idea. Oh, you know what can change us? A new house, a new address. So you can't make this stuff up. They literally move right down the street. They have a sign they put up and say, new location with an arrow pointing down to the new house. They move into a new house. The house is empty. The house is clean. The house has plenty of space. And then what do we learn? Wherever you go, there you are. That even though they had a fresh start and they had a new address and they had a new location, why did their trash and their stuff follow them? Because they hadn't been changed from the inside out. We can have a new look new clothes, a new address. We might even think that perhaps new relationships are the answer. Now, does God lead us to move? Yes, of course. Does God lead us to try new things? Of course. But if we are hoping through some external change, that will lead us, and let's be honest, that will save us from the sadness discouragement, frustration, whatever it may be. We need to remember the good news of Jesus, that we need something more than just a fresh start. We need new life. And sure enough, that's why Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 3, truly, truly, I tell you that no one, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Peter also says this. I love this passage. Listen to this, friends. 1 Peter chapter 1, this is one of the most beautiful passages in all the Bible. I hope we not only hear it, but receive it. And yes, believe it. Listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for who? You. It continues. 
Though we have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, now you believe in him and rejoice. Can we all say rejoice? rejoice. Gotta say rejoice, a little bit more rejoicing than that. <laughs> we rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Amen. Thank you, Doreen. How many of us want that? How many of us want that? Desire that? Long for that? So, the good news is not try harder, work better. The good news is entirely wrapped up in Jesus Christ. The good news is all about his saving work to deliver us from us, to save us from our sin so we can be reconciled to a holy God and the God who we were once running from is now the God that we run to, the God whose holiness we were allergic to and we were repulsed by. Now we know his holiness doesn't lead to bondage or bitterness, but it is freedom and it is joy. This is the good news of our faith. So how do we enter into who we already are? Listen to how Ephesians chapter two puts it. Ready? Ephesians chapter two, okay? For by the grace of God, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It is a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Did you hear what the Bible just said? God's people are not saved by good works. God's people are saved by the good work of Christ Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. But are we saved for good works? The truth is, here's the invitation. To become who you already are. When we move from, as the Bible says, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, when we were spiritually dead in our sin and now we're alive in Christ, when we were once rebels and now we're sons and daughters, where once we were looking for pleasure and satisfaction, salvation and identity in this broken world, now we find it entirely in Jesus Christ. What does this mean? The truth is your status has changed. The Bible says you are a new creation. The old is past. The new has come. Hallelujah. Do we believe this? That's your new status. That's your new place before God. That's your new position. How do we enter into that on a daily basis? Obedience. Obedience. We trust. We obey. How does that classic song go? I won't say it. You're welcome. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be what? Happy. Happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Friends, the straightest line between the Christian and satisfaction in this life is obedience to God. I'll say it again. The straightest line between the Christian and satisfaction in this life is obedience to God. To obey. And now... Obeying is not a curse, but a blessing. Now obedience, because of our new life, because of our new lease on life, because of what Christ has done in our life, now we run to the Father. We don't look at him as an absentee landlord. We don't look at him as a tyrant. We look at him as a father, 
and we want to honor him. We want to love him. And sure enough, that's exactly how Jesus Christ describes himself in John 14. Listen to these words. This is almost, uh, listen, if, if we're in a place where we're just flat out denying God and being disobedient to him, this one verse is probably going to be more convicting than all the verses in the Old Testament law. You ready? Jesus said this. He made it very, very simple. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Keeps going though, thank God. Verse 16, this is John 14. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So the same Holy Spirit that gave us new life is our helper that will continue to help us to grow in this new status, in this new life. But the, the truth is, if we claim to love Jesus, we'll obey. We'll obey his commandments. Our hearts are changed. We are new people, not only with a new eternal destiny, but also new pleasures and new desires. That now God's delight is our delight. God does through Christ what only God can do. Friends, there is no other religion, no other man-centered philosophy that can do this, that can change us from the inside out, that can change our desires. One of the greatest miracles that the Holy Spirit wrots in the heart of sinful men is that God changes our want to. We want different things now. Yeah, of course, we stumble and fall. Yes, of course, we still long for the things of this world. We get distracted, we get entangled, all of that. But God, you hear it, changes our delights. When the law of God written on our hearts, our duty will then become our delight. This is the fulfillment of what Ezekiel chapter 36 says. I love this passage. You hear me refer to it often. This is the prophecy fulfilled in Christ in the new covenant. I will give you a new heart, the Lord says. I will, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Doesn't that sound fantastic? Man, how many of us are tired and weary of the burden of bitterness and anger and resentment that we carry with it wherever we go? I mean, you might walk in here with a purse, you might walk in here with a wallet, but all of us are carrying baggage of a cold, hard, rocky heart. It's only the Spirit of God that can make that heart of stone into a heart of flesh. So you would expect Ezekiel to say this, okay, try harder, do better. What does he say? No, he says this, I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my laws. You understand how this works? That God saves us, and as he saves us and sets us free, now we see his beautiful commandments as the path to continuing freedom. It's the same pattern we saw in Exodus. What happened first? Did God give the Ten Commandments, or did God save his people from Egypt and from the tyranny of Pharaoh? He saved them through his mighty right hand, through his miraculous signs and wonders. He saved them, and then he led them to a place where he gave them his law. We are set free to live free. But yes, that generation needed the Spirit of God. 
And now in Christ Jesus, it has come. It doesn't dwell in a temple. It dwells in the temple that is our bodies. Christ Jesus resides in our hearts. So, for the born-again Christian, obedience is an act of delight-driven duty. Obedience is an act of delight-driven duty. Conversely, what's the opposite side of that coin? What's disobedience? Let's be honest. Our delight has been found in something else. Not the creator, but the creation. And our delight in that thing or that person far outweighs our delight in God. Psalm 119 says this in verses 72 and 73. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Friends, can we say the same thing? You hear what you just, do you you hear that? The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Your hands made me, informed me, give me understanding to learn your commandments. As the psalmist says in 46 and 47, I will speak of your testimony before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delights in your commands, which I love. Disobedience is finding delights in created things and not the creator. And that's why when we arrive at John chapter 3, verses 22 through 24, it's not by accident that we see Jesus teaching on the new birth in the first half of John chapter 3, and then immediately after new birth and the gospel is proclaimed, what do we see? What's the first act of new believers and their new birth? What's the greatest blessing to start out your Christian journey? It's baptism. We see this in John 3, verses 22 through 24, not by accident. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. This is going to be the pattern throughout the New Testament. This is going to be the pattern throughout your Bible, that when we are saved, when we believe and we repent, the first act, not just of what we feel or what we want, the first act of obedience is baptism. And sure enough, Jesus will command this, but he also demonstrated this. How did Jesus begin his public ministry? By getting baptized. It says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 15, Jesus replied to John the Baptist, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus Christ, the one and the only one who didn't need to repent, the one and the only sinless son of God, the perfect spotless lamb of God. Why is he getting baptized? That was John the Baptist's question. Why is he getting baptized? Jesus answered, so that he can demonstrate to all who would call upon his name, all that would be saved by him, all that would be made new and alive through his grace, this is righteousness. This is the right way. It's not by accident it happens at the beginning of his earthly ministry. And then sure enough, it's not by accident that the last thing he says at the end of his earthly ministry in the same gospel is also about his glory, new life, and baptism. The Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. Friends, listen. 
Jesus came to them, his disciples, and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Hallelujah. And then what? Disciples, and then what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As if to say the whole Trinity, our triune God, rejoices over the obedience of baptism. And then what? Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus demonstrates it, then he commands it. I mean, think of once again the Exodus story. God saves Israel from a tyrant and a fate that they could not save themselves from. And then what do they walk through before they hear the law of God? The Red Sea. The Red Sea. This baptism is a baptism of new life. We've been purchased freedom. This is our first act of obedience. Not only did Jesus demonstrate this, not only did Jesus command this, but then the early church practiced this. The apostle Peter, in the book of Acts, right after Pentecost, he delivers one of the most powerful messages in all the Bible, so much so that thousands upon thousands of people, they are ready to believe. They're ready to repent. They've heard of the glory of Christ, his work on the cross, his victorious resurrection, and then here's the response. Acts chapter 2. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. How important is that, right? When we hear the word of God, we might have intellectual questions. But in the end, if we don't obey, what? It's about the heart. The heart of the problem is always the problem of the human heart. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, meaning return to God and turn from sin. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And they did it. You know what they didn't do? They didn't schedule for later. They didn't say, all right, well, I got to get my stuff together. I got to, you know, work on this or that. And, you know, this isn't enough to believe. No, they were obedient. Does baptism save you? Listen, we are a Christ alone, grace alone church because the Bible teaches it. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We are saved by Jesus and not some water that some clergyman can pour over you. But this is the first sign of obedience. This helps us understand other verses that perhaps we've always been a little confused about, like Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So there's something about believing and then confessing. Baptism is the first way that we confess our sins. Jesus demonstrated it. Jesus commanded it. The early church practiced it. And then the early believers, they in fact were obedient to it. So what does it mean for us? What does it mean potentially for you? You probably have questions. I cannot tell you how many times when we teach on baptism, all the drama of our families and our personal issues come to the surface. It's not by accident. This really matters. This is really important. Why are believers so hesitant to get into the water, to make that profession of faith? Part of its tradition, and I'm going to say this as clearly as I can, and hopefully as kindly as I can. Sometimes the enemy's most subtle tool against the truth of God is the traditions of men. 
I mean, doesn't, doesn't it make sense? Doesn't it make sick sense that if he knows that he can't fully deceive you from denying Christ, he's going to deceive you about what Christ has clearly said? So that's why, friends, in the end, I encourage you to read. Take up and read. My conscience is clear, okay? I cannot force you to do this. I could preach the best sermon I've ever preached. Wave my hands like a lunatic. Give you the best illustrations with a heart full of joy and also tears in my eyes, begging and pleading for you to be baptized. But my conscience is clear. God's word has spoken. The ownership is on us. What does it mean if we love Jesus to obey? Be baptized. Make that profession of faith. Perhaps, friends, we've struggled. We've eked along in our new life because we haven't been baptized yet. The first act of belief. We have been pushing off and pushing off. I heard a story of a military family a military family where the father was trying to raise his son to be respectable, honorable, and responsible. But this son would not clean his room and would not do his chores. It was always later. The father would say, do this and do it now. And he would always say, later, dad, later, dad, later, dad. Now, I'm sure that doesn't describe your families. I'm sure all of your kids, when you say clean, they say, yes, father, I will do it immediately. So maybe we can relate to this young man. He grew up all the way through his teenage years. And he always pushed off and shirked his responsibilities. And then he signed up for the Marines. <laughs> then he went to boot camp. <laughs> then he talked to daddy after boot camp. And all of a sudden, it was a different story. This son said to his father, dad, now I get it. Thank you. Thank you for everything you instilled in me. I understand now what you were trying to teach me. And then this is the big takeaway, ready? He said at the end, I understand the importance of what you meant by saying now. I understand what now means. If we believe in Christ Jesus, today is the day of salvation. If not even tomorrow is guaranteed to us, why are we pushing off obedience? Obedience in a personal, private way, obedience in our relationships, in our marriages, with our kids, in our workplace, with our finances, whatever it may be. But why are we pushing off baptism? Believer's baptism. In the end, if we love Jesus, we'll obey what he commands. We pray and we hope that we would understand the amazing grace that has saved us, but the grace that also leads us to delight in the law and the word and the commands of God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray that you prepare your people to come before you and your table. Before we do that, Lord, I have no doubt many of us, Father God, some of us perhaps, need to get right with you, have a clear conscience before you, Father God, that we would truly, in our heart of hearts, want to obey you. So, Father God, before we come to the bread that's broken and before we come to the cup, we want to come to you, God, and say once again, Lord, we need your grace your grace to forgive, we need your grace to help us obey. If that's you this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray, to cry out with a genuine heart and a genuine desire to say, God, 
forgive me. So pray this prayer if you can sense the Holy Spirit leading you now. Heavenly Father, we need your grace. Please forgive us. Please forgive me. Give me the grace to obey today. Help me delight in you and not the things of the world. Come into my heart. Say it to the Lord. Fill me with your spirit and help me. Help me to follow you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.